Summon the crowd on the pitch. You're listening to The Soccer Show, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic on 1077 The Franchise. Oklahoma City, Wednesday night, you know what time it is. It's the soccer show here on 1077 The Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. Ryan Chapman alongside my good friend Matt Burton to talk about the beautiful game. Matt, hi, hello, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Always uh, a great time. Wednesday night to talk about some uh, some Premier League action uh, in the Premiership. A lot happened. It did, and uh, we were in tune for all of it. We were, we were indeed. Little programming note, though. It is Wednesday night as you listen to this, but Matt and I are not in Wednesday night. We have time traveled. It's actually about one thirty-two in the PM here on Wednesday. So if uh, David De Gea to Manchester United breaks between now and then. Uh, disregard all the criticism to oh nah nah uh, what, what a save what an awful save yeah uh, uh, we, we can only be so lucky oh, if we nah, get nah. David De Gea back please just save please uh, just save so, it please so, something like that uh, but other than that basically you know the drill Matt Burton and I have this affliction known as the Atlanta Braves they're playing the mm-hmm. NLC. no I'm kidding uh, I'm actually in Norman right now we thought initially there might be some OU football availability which is why we had moved the show up. Uh, instead, I am p- currently sitting at Marita Heinz Field. I actually am probably listening to myself at Marita Heinz Field while Oklahoma does the battle series. So, like I said, we're pre-recorded today, but we're only handful of hours ahead as it's 132 here. But like I said, Matt, a really, really fun weekend in the Prem. We were juiced for the Sunday slate. That's actually where we're going to start. Huge, huge battles all across the top of the table with implications all over the European slots. And we're going to do this in reverse, as Tom Cruise would have said, we'll be inverted today on the soccer show. We're going to go with the game that happened most recently and work our way back, as that was the big potential title fight at the Emirates. Arsenal and Manchester City, these two teams went to the wire last year, Matt. And ultimately, what was probably the most decisive moment in the title race was... Um, over the course of basically two weeks, there was a, a non-Premier League game last year and then that Premier League bout that, that Manchester City were in charge of. So uh, this is an early litmus test, an, an early decider of Arsenal spent in the summer. We, we've both talked a lot about, about the business they've done in and, and how would that pan out. And I think the first big thing, the first sign of growth is something we didn't really see during that I don't want to say de facto title decider, but that huge, huge, huge game of the title race last year is Mikel Arteta didn't really make any tactical tweaks to the lineup or anything like that. This time, this go-around on Sunday, he rolled out Declan Rice and Jorginho, a little, on paper at least, double pivot, a little extra beef there in the midfield. And uh, what we got was not just a, a much more competitive game, as obviously Arsenal won 1-0 uh, on the scoreline, but as far as that game went out, there was a lot less to separate. This was not a a really like free flowing, beautiful. Both teams just hammering and peppering each other's goal, and a couple of them go in. This was a a, a pretty cagey, pretty well even, uh, pretty fun match. It's not some of the high flying Liverpool matches we've seen so far, but 
a little bit more balance to this one, which was it was something different and it delivered on, on that big match feel. Yeah, uh, it, it did. I, I mean, uh, as far as like Arsenal and Man City, man. They, I mean, like we we've talked about this going into this season or like throughout this entire season about Arsenal, how some of them haven't looked pretty. They have not looked pretty at all. Uh, but as if anyone out there listens to or watches the show Letterkenny, they don't ask how, they ask how many. They don't ask how the job gets done. It's how many points do you have at the end of the year. And Arsenal has done a great job of just stacking three points, stacking three points. And that stuff matters, man. It, it really does. You have to take advantage even if, you know, tough. even if you have to maybe not play the way that you normally play. And they showed Man City a ton of respect, which you you have to do. I mean, if you if you try to play with Man City, you know, and just make it a, a track meet, basically, you're not you're not going to win. They're, they Man City's going to keep possession of the ball. Uh, they're going to you know, uh, fling in crosses to Erling Holland uh, and you know just beat you uh, at your own game. So you have to show Man City all that um, all, all that respect, really. And again, for Arsenal, they don't ask how. They ask how many. That's 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 the objective right now, especially for uh, for Arsenal and especially in a title race. Because uh, again, like I, I going into this year with with Arsenal, I thought that maybe they would take a little bit of a step back. You know, adding in Champions League football, uh, you know, all that stuff. I, I thought they'd take a, a healthy little step back. Um, I still I still wanted I still thought they'd be in the top four for sure. But I thought that they. It would be Liverpool and City kind of running away, and Arsenal would be just a little bit behind. Yeah. But, no, it, it, Arsenal has kept it moving. At great signings in, in the summer. Bringing in Declan Rice, I think, was huge. Uh, we've talked about that. I mean, you're a huge fan of, of Declan Rice as well uh, and that signing for them. So, uh, for me, with Arsenal, they're obviously firmly in the title race, and they're handling business. They're getting three points when they need to, and especially maybe uh, now – I'm not saying they didn't play well against Man City, but they have not played well in certain games up to this point. Uh, but they've still found a way to get three points. And then this was just another one. I mean, this is one that, again, I say it every week. You look back at the end of the season, and you're like, man, those three points were huge whenever we needed it. Yeah, Martinelli gets the only goal in this game with the assist off of Nathan Ake's face. <laughs> in the face. In the face. But I, I thought the biggest performance here was... The job that Declan Rice and Jorginho did, both screening that back line, but being in support, but but also like that—that's never going to be a hundred percent of the battle when you've got Erling Holland, and so it, it was going to be Saliba and Gabriel, and there were going to be a lot of pressure on those guys. And Saliba is is about as good as far as just like a, a physical center half who can also throw in some of the technical stuff. I thought they were really good Matt, at, at limiting what Manchester City were able to produce. It's kind of like a, a tale of two sides of the ball here. Arsenal had a lot more shots for me, but but Manchester City kind of dictated the, you're not going to have that ball yeah. right inside the 18 for a ton of that. I thought City had a couple of better, like they, they had like way fewer shots, a couple of really quality chances that were a really nice job by that back line, staying in constant communication. And then, for me, the, the real difference was Declan Rice's ability to to stitch defense and, and offense together to carry that ball through 
to just be a magnet for for everything Arsenal needed He's in that so midfield. Good, and so good. And and I thought that this was I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but by Arteta, it, it wasn't just that knowing that they didn't have Bukayo Saka. Um, I, I don't know if they intentionally played a little bit lower of a line and kind of invited a, a little bit more of the you. You guys come, and it's not you're not going to let you run through our lines, but we're going to let you advance the ball a little bit farther so that we can try and hit you on the counter. Um, I don't know if that was as intentional. They didn't do as much. They, they kind of mitigated the, the opportunities to mess up at the back by Raya kind of going long on a lot of their like, goal kicks and stuff. So, so they didn't have the, the build that you would expect, but it wasn't like a Arsenal conceded possession to make that happen. I think it was just kind of a, a limiting the, the spots where things could blow up in their face. And and in a match like this, you've got to take your chances. Now, I thought that Martinelli did a a great job there. Obviously, it was a very weird deflection coming off Ake's face. But I thought that this was a, a huge match to show the growth of, of Arsenal because they were so good against basically everybody else. In, in the top flight last year, it was just a, couple of, a handful of games against City where they just looked night and day like the second best team. Not that they're bad by... I mean, City do that to a lot of clubs and a lot of lesser clubs. So I thought it was just clear, and and I'm I'm so curious what this is going to do for the the belief of Arsenal to kind of grind one out, but also to say, remember that feeling toward the back end of last oh, year yeah. where we got thrashed, and now we go toe to toe on our home ground, uh, and, and they really grew into that game, and and by the end of it, with about seventy five minutes on, I was like, if it this doesn't end the draw, it felt like Arsenal were the one more likely. They were a little bit unlucky for for Mateo Kovacic to probably not get sent off on a second yellow card right before half, uh, but they they didn't let that kind of blow up or anything. They they came out and, and really steadied and, and steeled in and battened down the hatches there in the second half. I, I was just thoroughly impressed with how Arsenal played because for City, um, again, no Kevin De Bruyne, all that stuff. You had Phil Foden playing on the wing. It it's still a incredibly quality squad and. And the, in City missed Kevin De Bruyne in this game. I thought with how structurally sound Arsenal were, and that's not always a given. There are not many teams that make Manchester City look like they're missing Kevin De Bruyne. Right, and you you hit on you know some of the broader stuff there with um, with, with Arsenal. I mean, I, I can't. I don't know if, if we've forgotten, but Arsenal had the title. They had one hand on the title last year, and at the end of last year, that that run they had. I mean, they just let it slip. They kind of let Man City back back into it and then run away with it. Like they, For them going forward, I know like Declan Rice wasn't a part of Arsenal last year, but most of those guys are still the same players that they had. They remember that feeling, and uh, that was big in the sense of, okay, we can play with them, we, we can hang with them, and we can beat them. And, you know, last year... It felt like a little bit. We just saw this with the Oklahoma and Texas in, in college football. Like it feels like last year is like okay, that that monkey's kind of off our back, and we can continue and go go forward. I think, yeah, that that was huge for Arsenal, and not just a way of getting three points, but in the grander scheme of things too, for morale, for belief. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, and when you pair that result with what Tottenham did to Luton, which was just a. Not sexy, but they got it done. That that means the two North London clubs are sitting joint at the top of the table. Uh, elsewhere, we had a couple of other really fun games on Sunday. 
Brighton were hosting Liverpool. Yeah. West Ham were hosting Newcastle. Let's start with Brighton and Liverpool. Um, man, we, we've talked about this a couple of times already this season. Liverpool have more times than not recovered. Bench is fine, got all three points. But it seems like there's like one nearly catastrophic moment at the back per game. And it's usually, usually it's kind of like the first five or ten minutes, 20 minutes on. Alexis McAllister gets his pocket picked by a Dean grab. And now where this happened, it was in front of the back line. And Digger just turns and has one hell of a hit to, to curl that a, around the outstretched hands and into the back of the Liverpool net. But it, it becomes another thing where, where this game was really open, Matt. Both teams were going for it. Uh, Mo Salah has the first goal where we were watching <laughs> We were watching this, and uh, uh, you pointed out a great job by Harvey Yellett to recognize what was around him. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, Mo Salah is behind me. I'll just let him. Yeah, I'll let him hit this. You one. do that. You make <laughs> yeah. that thing happen. You, you're really good at that, so I'll just let you do that. Uh, not that Harvey Yellett is bad, but uh, Mo Salah is Mo Salah. So yes. it was good, good uh, social and, and uh, just spatial awareness. Uh, good, for yes, yes, good for the dressing room there. Good for the dressing room. And then uh, Salah tacks on that other pin, or his second goal, the pin, his other goal, right before half. In the 78th minute, Lewis Dunk rescues a point for Brighton. That thing ends 2 2. Uh, on the balance, Matt, it, it just feels really interesting. I thought that Arsenal and City was a really evenly played game in a different way. I thought Brighton and Liverpool was a really evenly played game. And, and in this one, um, this is kind of where we were showing against a team like Brighton, like Liverpool, they know this. Like we don't have, we don't have to tell this to Liverpool, but in the title fight, Man City, the last couple of years have been so close to perfect that at some point there was going to be a team that could punish Liverpool and make them drop points because of, of a little bit of, uh, uh, laissez faire attitude at the back. And it, it was McAllister that got his pocket picked and ultimately, uh, it, it, it it should have been a Liverpool road win instead. Yeah. Of, instead, they're going to split the spoils for me. It should. It should have. It, he gets his pocket picked, and Allison kind of gets caught watching the paint dry a little bit. He's he's a little bit further out from his line than he would like to be, uh, you know. And ex- not expecting McAllister to get his pocket picked there, <laughs> he was probably creeping up just a little bit too far. Um, and then the last goal that they conceded, man, uh, off the the set piece there, I just. Like, we watched it, both McAllister and uh, Andy Robertson just kind of olayed it. They were just like, okay, someone behind me is going to kick it. Oh, no one kicked it. Okay, they scored. It's like, it like they just watched it go by and watched the goal go in. They didn't try to it, it stop was, it anything. It was like, okay, no, someone else got it. Okay, no one else has it. I right. think McAllister cool. had a worse angle at it. The Robertson, I've watched that goal a couple of times. I'm still not sure what he was doing. I don't know. He jumped up. at least. He jumped straight up but didn't try to, like, it's like jump straight up and was like, did someone else call? Like, Everybody what is was, going on? Everyone's pointing him like, bro, what? Yeah, what are you doing? Dude? So I, I don't know, man. Yeah, Liverpool still have a ton of firepower. Like uh, again, like as far as scoring goals, that's not going to be their problem. But um, you know, going up against like a, a Brighton, a, a Villa, a, you know, some of these, some of these other teams that are just below that that top tier uh, at the moment. Like, I mean, this this might be. Something that that haunts them going forward. Now, am, am I sitting here struggling, saying that they're going to struggle to make top four, anything like that? I, I don't think so. I think Liverpool are 
uh, insanely talented, and just with the way that they can score, they're going to win more games than not. Uh, I don't think this is a you know a, a bigger uh, picture, bigger picture problem for them. No. But uh, but still, like they they have shown the ability that they can get caught. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about Brighton a ton. Brighton are really, really good. Uh, but that's where that pops up, right? Like a, a team like Brighton can punish you, and, and it turns. What would be an absolutely great win to take three points at the Amex instead you have to split it, chop it. Tidery's not over. Like you mentioned, Champions League, not over. none of that. Yeah. No panic, but anything of the sort. But just one of those moments of that's kind of what we've been talking about. I think it reared its head just a hair, just a hair for the Reds on the South Coast. Uh, a little bit of a cagier game, West Ham and Newcastle. My big question here in this game was... Would this be a little indication, an early indicator, um, if West Ham's start was a little purple patch to start the year, or if they were for real and playing a lot better, a lot closer to the levels that they had achieved before last year, where they were in like a legitimate relegation scrap? Uh, Suchek with the early goal falls behind. Isak takes this thing over in, in that middle portion there of the second half, and then Kudos comes back nearly at the death to level this up for West Ham, very similar to the Liverpool conversation, not worried about Newcastle, anything like that. I I thought this was more about West Ham showing up and saying, no, 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 uh, they're not in a title fight for me or anything. But I I think that this was more about West Ham showing we got the depth and right stuff behind us. We got last year behind us. They're taking that victory in the Conference League and rolling it forward. And I just continue to be very impressive with them because it's not like they're just absolutely disgusting or anything like that, but they they build and they play a little bit differently and they're more willing to use like some target men and, and things like that and then sit them behind the ball than some of the other top teams at the uh, at the Premiership. Yeah, and for, for Newcastle, man, like I, I I need to look up the uh, the table right now, but um, I my big my big thing with them has been just like they uh, they're tough schedules to start the yeah. to start the season. Yeah. They find themselves in eighth Right now, and you know they're gonna have to take advantage of some of those opportunities when you know they're playing against you know, the lower teams because they've started off um, in eight thirteen points, which is which is not bad, but by any means. I mean they they scored twenty goals. That's only behind Brighton uh, for most goals in the in the Premier League this year. So like I, I'm not worried about Newcastle, but I feel like this just it's put, it puts more pressure on them to. Hey, when you're playing at Goodison, if you're playing yeah. at Selhurst Park, like if you're if you're playing against some of these lower level teams, but still, like just because of the way that they uh, started off with just you know playing City, Arsenal, Liverpool, like they're playing like all the top teams right in row to start the season. Uh, now, on the flip side, you hope that means that okay, they're battle tested. Like, all right, they've they've hung around. You know, maybe they've got they got beat bad once or twice, but uh, they can. You know, find a way. They've shown that they are a good side. Yeah. And but you add Champions League football into that, in which they're in the group of death too. Like, so you're you're like play, having to, you know, get your mind right for hey, playing at Molyneux against the uh, against Wolves, and then on Wednesday we're playing at PSG. High flying Wolves, who who drew one right. with Villa. Uh, here's what's upcoming. Arsenal is like the one big big side they haven't quite squared off against yet. That one's coming on November 4th when when Newcastle come back from their national break, have a Saturday match against Crystal Palace, then a midweek against Dortmund. 
That one's going to be huge. If Newcastle could get three points yeah. there, Dortmund could be drawing dead sooner rather than later in the Champions League. And later on in November, there's a Dortmund match sandwich coming off of Arsenal right before Bournemouth. Might be a situation where we could rotate the squad a little bit in either the Dortmund or the Bournemouth game. But they'll have uh, Palace, Dortmund, Wolves, uh, a, a low mid-table team in Man United, then yes, Arsenal, terrible, stuff terrible like United that. Team. So it is going to let up here a little bit. But then oh. you look and they've got a... Uh, Chelsea and PSG and Man United. Like, that's back-to-back-to-back at the very end of November, start of December. So, that's just life for Newcastle. I think where they're most likely to start pick up a ton of points in droves is when they've got, starting on December 16th, here's their festive period. Fulham, Luton, Forest, Liverpool, City, yikes. But that's, Liverpool is the end of that on December 30th, then City come back from the winter break. Then they've got, Villa, Luton, Forest, Bournemouth. It, it, it kind of dips a little bit for them. So. But also, like, I know that everyone plays the same schedule, yeah, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know you do in, in the Premier League. The, I, I the get order that, matters, but, though. But the order definitely does matter. And, you know, getting not a rest, but, hey, let's have a stretch of playing Forest, Brentford. Well, Brentford's not terrible, but, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like Burnley and Luton, you know, instead of, oh, we got to play Liverpool and Man City back-to-back twice. This year. Like, what, what the hell is that all about? It's like, what is happening? What is happening for short? We mentioned that Wolves-Villa game. Uh, that one finishes 1-1. And uh, just a really, really good result for a Wolves team that's played a lot better here. On Saturday, sifting through it, we mentioned Spurs, a 1-0 win over Luton. That was one that I, I think they just needed to get through. And, and Luton have played, I don't know, better is the right word. They they're, they look a little bit less shell-shocked in these games. Yeah. They're not possessing the ball or anything like that. They're not really a threat to score against the top sides, but I think that they've adjusted to the speed a little bit and are looking a hair more organized at the back. I still mm-hmm. have them on track firmly for relegation, something like that, but grabbing one goal there, Van de Ven gets off the line for Spurs. I thought that was just a very workmanlike, hey, coming off a couple of big matches, make that thing happen. You look at Everton, Everton just running riot. <laughs> Three goals against Bournemouth. Up 2-0 at halftime. The Dakar is just, just for fun on the hour mark. Uh, man of the match performance from Jack Harrison. What are we what are we to do with uh Everton now that they've scored three goals in a match? Not only are they sitting on seven points, which is three above the drop zone, but that put them at minus three goal difference. And you start looking at the Burnley, Bournemouth, Sheffield, and Luton that are down there, 9, 13, 13, 16. Like, this sounds silly, but banging three past here could yeah. be huge for Everton in, in the goal difference battle. It can, man. And uh, if you're shocked, I mean, it, if you have a chance, everyone out there, go listen to the uh, the call of those goals. Yes. Uh, the second goal goes in. <laughs> Whoever's on the call is basically like, what? What, is what, are, what are we supposed to do with Everton playing good football? Like, what is happening? And then they score the third, and he's like, oh, Everton uh, scoring three at, at Goodison Park. Are we seeing this right? Like, honestly, <laughs> it was fantastic. Just, so if you, have a, if you have a chance, go listen to the call of those goals because it was amazing. Have, having some fun with it. Having some fun with it for sure. Fulham run right over Sheffield 3-1. Fulham actually put four goals in the back of the net there. Shout out to our good friend, Anthony Jedi Robinson for an own goal. That was a, <laughs> that was a two own goal affair, one on each side. Uh, Fulham and, and Sheffield. That one gets going. Man United, the late show with Scott McTominay. Are you are you willing to put your full force behind McTominay being the center forward for Man United 
the understudy for Rasmus Holland when, when right. he said yeah. take a rest. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think this just proves that. No, uh, Scott McTominay scoring two in four minutes uh, was not in my bingo card. Also, uh, I'm very, very afraid that we put out some bad tape. Um, whereas if you just kick it at Andre Onana, it's going to be a goal. Yeah. Don't try to miss it. Like, don't try to miss Onana. Like, I mean, he'll dive and save that. But if you kick it right at him, no chance. Just just aim for the hands. Uh, yep. Get him diving low in his hand. Thankfully for United, um, Brentford gave one back. It was a couple right. of a couple of instances of, of a little bit of the limp wrist in, in yep, that game. It was. But more than anything, winning cures all. And so I, I think for United, we've talked about United a lot. You're a United fan. Uh, when things are rocky, just get the win and kind of instill yep. that. Look, it doesn't have to be perfect. There's there's a lot to to fix, a lot to get better at, and then that'll that'll all kind of solve that. So we'll see for United as they sift through the busy schedule. Uh, two more on that one: Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest. That one finished nil nil, and then they Chelsea, brought the donuts. They did. They did bring the donuts. They. I really appreciate them. We always need one of those. And, and then Chelsea goes down early with a bit of sloppy defending. Odebert had a really really nice finish though, and then Chelsea puts four in. Raheem Sterling push over to the left was sensational yet again, and this is kind of what I was talking about. Of hey. Be- like believe what you want. I truly believe like this game is not like a stats. Oh, whoever has the best old expected goals wins or anything like that. But Chelsea's underlying numbers. They're, they're the only team in England right now who has won the XG battle in all com- in all games, all competitions since the season started. What does that mean? I don't care. Score the goals, but it wasn't like there's there's problems in the build up stuff like that. They put four past, and now Chelsea. That's two games in a row. That's three on the bounce. If you, if you bring in. Uh, the Brighton win in the League Cup against the Brighton kind of B team, but a, a win's a win. Chelsea, more than any team, needed that because here is their run after the international break. They've got Arsenal, then they've got Brentford, a cup tie with Blackburn, and then it really kicks off. Spurs, City, Newcastle, Brighton, Oof. Manchester United. Well, that's a win. That is the... Uh, November stretch, plus you add in that late October, October 21st tie against Arsenal. Uh, Chelsea were supposed to rack up the points in this past run. They did not, but now they're playing better, playing with confidence. We're going to find out everything you need to know about Mauricio Pochettino's Chelsea, I think, over the month of November, plus the late October with Arsenal. So what you're saying is that if, uh, I don't know if you you know this, but power rankings are really hot in the streets right now. Are they? So, would you have Chelsea at number two in the power rankings, like slightly just behind Man City, even though they're at 11 in the the table? Yeah, I I think that. So here's what happened. If you look at the stats, do your power do your power rankings? Yeah, okay, please. So if if you look at the stats, Matt, um, if Chelsea had won by five goals, I think that that would have been a little bit more impressive. But yeah. instead, they only scored four goals. And so because of that, I'm still going to put Burnley above Chelsea in my rankings. In your power rankings. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what if they do. played on a neutral field? Uh, well, I, you have to pay the American tax because that's yeah, always going to happen. The American tax and, carries over. And Chelsea are American-owned. So that I think sense. that's tax-free. So I'd probably put Chelsea at number one. Okay. That makes sense. For, for sure. That makes for sense. Sure. So we will find out more about that on the other side of this international break because, like I said, this is where business is going to pick up for Potch's men 
at Stanford Bridge. That's Matt Burton. I'm Ryan Chapman. This is the Soccer Show here on 107.7 The Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. On the other side, I'm a homer. We had a retirement. We're going to talk about it for like 10 seconds. Uh, there was also a former Chelsea man that was doing great things between the pipes. We'll talk about that as well as a little bit of an update on Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, how they are doing in Big 12 play. All that and more. Keep it right here on the other side. Right back. Listen to The Soccer Show here on 107.7 The Franchise. The Soccer Show is on Twitter. Give us a follow at Soccer Show 1077. This is the Soccer Show here on 107 Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. Quickly, Matt, if you'll give me just 20 seconds of let's time, yeah, will, you, will you permit me to wax poetic for 20 whole seconds? 1,000%. We got the news this week. This is not unexpected, not shocking. Uh, former Chelsea star, former Real Madrid Player, uh, Belgium star Eden Hazard calls it a career, hangs it up, retires at 32. Obviously, something someone for me that I, I loved watching, but uh, I, I hated I, watching it. Yeah, yes, fair enough. Uh, well, if you dislike Tottenham, uh, Eden Hazard scored the de facto decisive goal, or if you just like Leicester winning a title, that was him. Uh, won a bunch with the club. I, I just appreciated that he was a guy that. Um, in a, in a time where soccer has become, at times, uh, a sport where coaches can say, no, 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 I want, you, I want to dictate you're going to make this run every time and we're going to ping this ball here to there and all that stuff. There are players, and, and he was not on the, on the top end level of a Leo Messi prime or, or Cristiano Ronaldo at his prime, but Hazard just being a guy that was like, yeah, get the ball at my feet and... He can give you that moment of magic. And, and there are guys like that. Um, Mo Salah has been that. Kevin De Bruyne is a modern version that he does it with the passing a lot. Um, he, he's a great dribbler, so I don't mean to say he's not. But, like, yeah. Eden Hazard was known for his runs and stuff. And so I just appreciate when there's someone like that that, that reminds you, like, in college football, it's like we have plays. We have set plays. And in basketball, you have set motions or shooting the three and all that stuff. And it's like threes or layups. He was one of those people that in sports, it was like, if, when you talk about it being an art, when you watch Leo Messi, it's an art. Eden Hazard was another one of those artists that that it just made me happy. He was, I mean, yeah, he was awesome. I mean, like, there's a reason I hated watching him because he was so good, and uh, I feel like he killed Man United all the time. But he did that to everyone. Well, it wasn't. It did, wasn't who did he kill to, uh, more? Man United or cheeseburgers in the off season? <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. That's a very tough one to to call. Uh, too close to call, even. Uh, I would say. For me, like some of the most like ultimate respect that you can have uh, in soccer is like, if someone just if if a player gets just man marked the entire game. If you're like, all right, we have to have someone on this guy the entire game, or else like we can't play our normal defense. Have to just have someone follow him around. I mean, United even started doing that. I think when Mourinho was at United, anytime they played Chelsea, it was all right. Under Herrera, your job is to just 
stick to Eden Hazard like like glue. Like try just try to take him out of the game. We don't care if you know he's like right by the goal and the ball is all the way on the other side. Like doesn't matter. You're gonna stick. With it. I think that's a the ultimate sign of respect. It's like if someone's playing in basketball and it's like, all right, we got to box and one this guy because we yeah. just can't leave him open. We can't let him do what he normally does. Uh, and that was just something that like that always stuck out to me with United. Cause I was like, yeah, you kind of have to because the guys, if he gets the ball at his feet clean and you let him run at you, the bad things are going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we're so used to like with Holland, that's the case right now. Harry Kane was always one in the Premier League that you had to do that. I feel like it's not as often that it's a, a specific winger that does yeah. that. Salah's probably that guy right now in the Premier League that you're like, okay, we are dedicating someone on the side of the pitch to him, whether he, yeah. he's changing or not. And so uh, just uh, an appreciation for that. And uh, I, I just like to celebrate those kinds of guys that were a, a ton of fun for that part yeah. of it. Not just a great player, but just having that moment of magic that, that again, it, it's what makes sports so much fun is when the unexpected happens and you're just like, I don't know how yeah. his brain even thought that that was a possibility there, but I'm I'm happy that we had someone to dream big because I do not I do not dream right. that big. Awesome dude. He uh, he had a great connection uh, for a time with Olivier Giroud, which we'll use that as a segue. Did you see what happened with Mr. Oliver? I did Oliver. Not. So Milan are playing. Have a couple of red cards. The sub windows are done. Oh. And goalie is out. Ollie Pop steps in and says, not only am I the most attractive man in football, yes. not only did people like put me in the garbage bin five years ago, yet I'm still scoring big goals. Yes. Not only am I, uh, you know, have, have the most, just probably the most incredible gift in the world of him, like spraying the self-tanner on himself. Yes. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'll step in. I'll do a shift. And, <laughs> and he, he, he played a little bit of keeper there. Uh, so much so that I think FIFA announced that they're coming out with a Olivier Giroud <laughs> goalkeeper like Team of the Week card for you Ultimate Team players. Uh, did he get a save? Did he? Uh, did yes, he, he had a save. It, it wasn't like a total tour de right. force, uh, but yeah, he, he did. He was uh, throwing around a little bit, and he did get one. Now that's amazing. Was it one that like Andre Onana should have said? Like, yeah, like that right, kind yeah. of quality of shot. I guess that's Maybe. the question I should have asked. Like, Maybe. would Andre Onana have saved it? And the answer would have been no. The answer would have been no. It would have rolled back. Maybe Manchester United should buy Olivier Giroud and play him. Yes. Hey, have you thought of it? I'm down. I bet his distribution will be phenomenal. Yes, I'm, I'm in. I'm 1,000% in. So, just a fun moment there. Well, no, actually, United need goals, so I'd actually rather him <laughs> just, just be the striker. Yeah. Uh, I wish he'd never left Chelsea. I, I, I often wonder, like, how different would this have been? The l- looking for a striker when it's like Giroud, yeah. he's right there. Talk about just- a guy I hated playing against. I mean, Olivier Giroud, man. You you mentioned like people put like just wishing death upon him, basically <laughs> like five years ago. All he did was just score. What like, the- I don't like, I don't know what like in, in big games too. Like he will always score. And then and then the World Cup run with the French national team, it was like he was one of the most important yes. players in the French attack without score. He was just like, yeah. He's like, I'm just going to I'm do all the dirty work up here and when Killian yep. wants to run in behind, boom, there you yeah. go. There you go. Uh, I, I love me some Olivier. Uh, he, he's just a, a renaissance man of, of many talents. Very appreciative for that for sure. Matt, let, let's check in real quick as we have to do before we preview some of how we're going to spend our international break with uh, the local state schools here, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. We'll start with the Cowgirls. We didn't have a chance to check in last week purely because I'm bad at radio and ran out of time. No, we had so much stuff. But uh, 
It's been a little bit of a, a dry run for Oklahoma State. It's been a tough run of it. They beat UCF all the way back on September 28th, the Thursday, 2-1. to one. Uh, That bad boy was in Stillwater. And then a bit of a road trip, some, some games not being played at Neil Patterson Stadium. That Sunday, October 1st, they turned around and lost 1-0 in Fort Worth to TCU, which, uh, I, I mean, anyone that's watched Big 12 soccer for a time knows that TCU is a tough out anywhere, but especially in Fort Worth. Then you look this past weekend's work. Uh, they did. Uh, Oklahoma State had the road trip, the Eastern road trip, out to the the Cincinnati West Virginia jaunt, which two really quality teams and, and the the longest trips of the year outside of Orlando. If you have that on the schedule, and it was a pair of one nil defeats, one to Cincinnati, one to West Virginia. That puts Oklahoma State at eleven and five overall, four and three in the conference. So still plenty of work to be done. And the Cowgirls have an absolutely massive pair of games coming up this weekend. Thursday night, 7 p.m. If you are anywhere around Stillwater and you love soccer, get out to Neil Patterson Stadium. The Cowgirls are playing host to BYU. I don't know where they are in the rankings right now, but at the start of Big 12 play, BYU is the number one team in the country. They are big time. And that... Texas Tech is another really, really excellent team. I believe Texas Tech went in and beat BYU uh, last weekend. All the days are running together. Uh, the Cowgirls will spin around on Sunday and have to head to Lubbock. So this is a really, really tough stretch for OSU. Probably um, those two in Texas, for my money, are probably the three most talented teams in the Big 12. And then it, it, it comes and it goes so quickly, Matt. Uh, October 23rd, Monday nights in Stillwater, they will close out, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State will close out the Big 12 slate with that Bedlam matchup. But up first, BYU and Tech for the Cowgirls. A huge, huge stretch. Flip that around. Oklahoma on September 28th, that Texas Tech team we were talking about, Oklahoma went down to Lubbock and lost 2-0 to that squad. Turned back around and on their pink out game in Norman, a 2-1 loss to UCF. That was the first result. They had dropped at John Crane Field this year. And then Oklahoma had the inverse. They had the West Virginia-Cincinnati trip as well, but it was West Virginia up first, a 4-0 loss in Morgantown. That was tough sledding. Uh, but then bounced back and turned around and got a 0-0 draw with Cincinnati. So that was big time to, to respond in that manner. And the Sooners also have a very, very tough stretch. If you're around the Norman area on Thursday night, OU Texas, 7 p.m. out at John Crane Field. Like I mentioned, Texas, one of the elite squads. And then it's a Monday night kickoff, October 16th, against BYU at John Crane Field. And then the next Monday, it'll be Bedlam up in Stillwater. So it is, it's clutch time for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State as they head into that Big 12 tournament that runs at the end uh, that it starts the last week of October and, and runs into November out in Round Rock. But Matt, we got one more segment left on the other side. We'll preview how we're going to be spending our international break. For me, it's going to be watching some soccer, though not live broadcast. We'll dive into that a little bit here. Stick with us. Quick time out. We'll be back. You're listening to the soccer show brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic here on 1077. The franchise. You're listening to the soccer show brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic on 1077 The Franchise. 
segment of the soccer show for this Wednesday, October 11th, here on the Franchise Soccer Show. As always, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. If you miss any of the show, keep up with us at Soccer Show 1077 on Twitter. Follow us there. And then just search The Soccer Show on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Get that bad boy podcast up there if you missed any bit of the show. Recapping the huge weekend that was in the Premier League. Matt, we're on an international break. So no action this weekend in the Prem. On Saturday at 2 o'clock on TNT, the U.S. will take on Germany. So that is one that I will be tuned into uh do you see that uh, one Gio Reyna back in the fold? Back in the fold, man. Uh, I'm They're excited talking again. to see it. I'm excited to see it. Hopefully everything, bygones be bygones. So they can go just, on and get... Um, yep, it's just water under the fridge, you know. Everything's all good. Yeah, make that happen. Uh, so that's big there. Uh, then they'll circle back on Tuesday. That one's a 7.30 p.m. start on TNT. Uh, if I am around and watching that one, will purely depend on if the Atlanta Braves are playing <laughs> in the NLCS or not. That is what we will find out there. So I, I'm excited for this Germany matchup just to see what that thing looks like uh, because that, that's one of those you get on the field with European competition like that, and, and that's exactly the, the kind of browner you want to get no matter who is in the side. Absolutely, man. It's a... Uh... Always a big time matchup going against you know what are the are still called the top nine is that that was the the FIFA thing yeah for a while are we still calling them the top nine is that sure I it's you, top ten with the USA now baby Let's yeah go. you can go with the uh, was it the four time world champion you know do <laughs> yeah, one of those yeah, yeah. things bill it however you want but uh, I'm actually probably gonna be taking in a lot of soccer on Thursday night and Friday night in terms of this. I will be hammering through the Beckham documentary yes, that's popped on Netflix. I've saved that. I'm off Thursday and Friday from radio, and it's Oklahoma's bye week, which means I'm going to be a vegetable on the yep. couch most of the week. Knowing that, I have planned ahead, as opposed to, to watching Beckham now, uh, as it's kind of come out. I'm really, really looking forward to diving into that, because it sounds like the reviews have been really good. Yeah, they have been. And uh, I think, you know, as a United fan, a little bit, Closer to that, obviously, I didn't watch David Beckham when uh, he was at United, but still, like, it, I'm one of those guys. If I if I follow a team, like, I just dive into the history of it. And I, I mean, David Beckham did the, the whole Class '92 documentary. I don't know if you you saw that one when it was on Netflix, but that one uh, was amazing. And but it only gave you a little like piece of David of, right. of all the guys like Skulls, Nevels, you know, uh, you know, uh, Gigs and and Beckham. It, it gave you a small piece. So this is going to be awesome because David Beckham was, like, the most popular player in, in the world at, at a time. Like, I remember John Oliver had a joke, like, when uh, David Beckham got Jesus tattooed on him, it was a big day for Jesus. Yeah. Like, you know, like <laughs> it was one of those things. And uh, so he, that is going to be awesome. Obviously, everyone's seen the clip of him uh, with Victoria. With Victoria, like, no, yeah. no, what car Tell did your truth. dad? Tell the truth. What car did your dad drive? He's like, well, he drove a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Just, hey, hey, hey. 
I would like to be that middle class. She was posh spice, yes. When, <laughs> yes when, when, when we talk about middle class failing, I would like to be that middle class. <laughs> yeah, pretty please. Exactly. Is that what upper middle class is supposed to be? Uh, no. But, uh, very, uh, that very upper middle but class. But I'm excited, man, because, like, I mean, obviously he's gone through, like, he's he was a genuine rock star that played soccer, but also took soccer very, very seriously for, from what, um, you know, I've, I've always gathered. Like, he didn't let dating posh spice get in the way of anything and um but yeah i mean you talk about all the clubs that he's played for too manchester united ac milan real madrid psg at the very end you know la galaxy was huge in like i'm sure for a time you know most soccer fans that were just getting into soccer i'm sure that was one of the only mls teams that they had ever heard of right was the la galaxy simply because david beckham was playing for them and uh, man, what a what a guy! What an ambassador for the sport too. Now, uh, as well, like carrying on after his playing days, it's just he's awesome, man. Yeah, and you've got now his tie-in with Inter Miami and everything that they've done, trying to bring in Leo Messi and kick the MLS forward again. Um, we shall see if that's something that is able to happen. Uh, Leo Messi, obviously, Inter Miami comes up just short in the League's Cup final, and then. Misses the playoff line. It, they they had to be perfect, and they just weren't. And uh, and so we'll we'll see how that rolls into next season. The MLS is is Inter Miami is able to retool their roster again. I know there's a lot of criticism for skirting rules stuff. Like that. I get it. I get it. But as someone who That's does fun. as someone who doesn't hammer a ton of MLS action, <laughs> you know what Leo Messi did? He made me want to watch the MLS. So exactly. that that's the point. That's the point. Uh, Netflix has a pretty good track record as well for the the documentaries they either produce or pick up in soccer, like the Fuego Affair. Have you seen that about Luis Fuego? I haven't. That, that one's still on Netflix. That one's an incredible one. Todd turned me on to that one. So uh, Netflix generally does a good job. With the U.S. women, we've got a little bit of time. Their international breaks are obviously a little bit separate. Uh, Thursday, October 26th is their next time back in action. They've got two fixtures against Columbia, one on that Thursday and then one on Sunday. October 29th, and I'm happy that uh, both the U.S. men and women are getting featured on that contract's kicked over to TNT, obviously, but uh, a lot of pub for them, and it looked like uh, quite the scene as Megan Rapino in her final NWSL game sets a new NWSL attendance record out there. So it's been a, a good couple of weeks, but uh, Matt, I hope that you enjoy the, the rest of your international break as we kind of get to International break, and I know you buy. We just take a little bit of a breather here. Exactly, man. It comes at a perfect time. It you, just, does. you really love to see that, man. So yeah, I am going to, as well as you, just be a vegetable this weekend. Yes, uh, Vegetable City is absolutely happening. That'll do it for us, though. Big thank you to Matt Burton. Uh, big thank you to Reese Mitchell back in studio, keeping us on air. We'll be back next Wednesday night from seven to eight p.m. Should be live unless I decide to slide down to softball again. We shall see. But until next time, thank you again, Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Click, for sponsoring the show. We'll see you next week in the Franchise Outdoor Hour coming up next.